So Erin Clark here, I have a very good friend of mine. Um, her name is Nicole Scuderi, and you will soon see a lot of her. She is going to help co-host this conversation with me. Um, we've, we've had lots of discussions about MLM Exposed. We've talked about doing this for years and years and years, and we're finally sitting down and getting the job done. And we think that it's more necessary than ever. The weird, the world, not the weird, the world is weirder than ever. The vultures are out. And we think that this conversation is extremely relevant. So Nicole, welcome. Um, let me tell you a little bit more about Nicole really fast. And then I, and then I'm going to shut up and let her tell her story. So I met Nicole, Nicole met me because of MLM Exposed. So when my mentor and leader and friend and I used to be in this wine business, um, if you've listened to the episode with Jen, you heard all about the wine business and all the things that, all the PTSD that came from that, but we would drink wine every Sunday night and we would go live on Facebook and um, basically bitch about MLM. <laughs> that was the gist of it. Pardon my yep. French. We called it MLM exposed. And the place that we were at was we were tired of the BS we knew there were flaws in the industry. We didn't necessarily know what to do about them, but we knew that we needed to do better. And so Sunday nights were geared towards making fun of ourselves, making fun of dumb posts that we had put up, making just really talking about the, the struggles that we had and trying to offer solutions. Uh, it was really fun. And we've talked about kind of revitalizing that conversation for years. And here we finally are, but that is where Nicole found me. And that is where I found Nicole. And I'll tell you about Nicole is that, she is um, the epitome of, she doesn't always feel like this, but she is the epitome of living her life as authentically as she possibly can. She is who she is. And when her light shines brightly, it's like can blind the masses, right? It's incredible. And so I was drawn to her and for, for some reason, she was also drawn to me. And so here we are. Um, she's a multi-business owner. She's an author. She does all sorts of crazy, amazing things. And she also has had a very wild story in MLM. So for her story, we're going to have to be a little bit careful. Um, we certainly don't want to get sued. Um, we also want to be respectful. This We do not want this to turn into a gossip fest. That's not what this discussion is all about. You'll see that when you listen to these episodes. But Nicole, I would love for you to tell me your story. And even before the MLM piece, what where were you at in your life when MLM kind of, I don't know, hopped in? Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, okay. So it's obviously been a couple of years. So, um, I, okay. I was, so it was 2015, I think when I first heard about the first company. So I, I've not been to very many. Um, I really, I only had like two experiences, but the first one really did a doozy on me. Mm -hmm. Um, so before, um, before I really entered MLM, um, I did, I was in the corporate world. Um, I'm, I'm at Las Vegas. Okay. So, so in Las Vegas, you either are, you either work in the casinos or, um, I mean, really what else is there to do? I mean, there's, so I did a corporate, um, essentially corporate accounting for them. So I started at uh, 21 and before that I, I had my own businesses. So I've really kind of always been like an entrepreneur. So really always working for myself was kind of like my thing. I think I owned my first business at 18. That was like right when the housing market was crashing. So I, um, we always kind of used to joke that at least my family would joke that I was a pregnant Mexican cleaning houses. So like that was this ongoing joke, right. Oh before God. I started in like the casino business, which is what my family did. 
So um, turned 21, went to work for the casinos, started in accounting, um, worked my way up. But for anybody who's ever worked in corporate America, you kind of know what it's like, especially if you're a woman, um, what it's like to be the only woman in the boardroom. Like it's not easy. So I am a very vocal individual and that um, I was the same way when I was with my MLM. Like I just cannot help that at all. Um, and so I, That's why um, we're drawn to each other. Oh gosh. Yeah. I could just, and that was something about MLM exposed the first time when I saw it, I was like, okay, these women are not afraid to speak out about things in the industry, even though people don't want to hear them. And I think that's what really drew me to it because when I saw MLM exposed the first time I was at the height of my MLM career. And it wasn't like I was coming to MLM exposed, you know, when I was in a spot where I was at a low point, I was at the height and I was still like, oh no, there are things about, you know, the business that were kind of sketchy, but, um, before I got here, I, um, I was, yeah. So I was in corporate accounting and, um, you know, I said the wrong thing to the wrong male executive and I kind of got on their radar. And so the first opportunity that they had to kind of like give me the boot, um, they found a way to do that. And so I kind of found myself in a situation where I went from, you know, being the youngest female, I mean, the youngest manager period, um, over two accounting departments on the strip, like two major casinos to one day having no job. And I mean, I was like 24, 25 years old. I was really young. Obviously I had a child at the time. My husband now is my, my boyfriend then. And so I was kind of in a spot where I was like, just, I was starting to get to like lowest point, you know, where I felt like really just kind of desperate. Um, and so I just remember like Justin having to move in to kind of like help pay our bills. And so I, um, I decided, I, so I kind of have other random talents. Um, I used to be very talented baker. And so I used to make like those, those tiered cakes and like make all these, like, I don't know, fondant creations and stuff like that. And so I had this wild, crazy idea of like wanting to, um, open a bakery. And, um, if you guys have ever opened a brick and mortar business, obviously Aaron, you know, that it takes a lot of upfront cash that I did not have. And, um, you know, when I left the casino world, it's not like the casino business just like fired you, right? It's very old school here. So then they just fired me. They like black booked me. So I, it's not like I could go back to the casino business. It was like, they were yeah. like going to make sure that I could never get another casino job again. And so I was, I mean, I really felt like I was between a rock and a hard place. So I decided, all right, I, I got to, I got to pivot and completely change plans altogether. So I am um, going to go be a baker. Can yeah, I, can I go, say something really fast? Of course, both of those two pieces of your story. And I don't even think we've ever put the, the, the parts together. The whole reason I went into MLM wasn't because of a male boss. So that's wild. It was the female boss in my, yeah. in yeah. my job that just, I mean, homegirl did not like me and I was very vocal and it was that meeting that I had where I got told that my hair needed to be better and my makeup needed to be better. And so I wasn't fired, but I was on the watch list. And so it was literally like had to pivot. So there's my first story. And I also, but unlike you, I don't have as good a follow through, but I also loved to bake and I loved art. And so I bought all these baking supplies and I actually made two cakes and I made $45 a piece from them. And I probably spent $80 hours <laughs> of time and ruined my entire kitchen trying to make a cake. So I was like a wannabe Nicole, but anyways, keep going. I, I was that's a so wannabe baker. I think I still have baking things in my basement. I still. Do. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's funny. My, uh, eventually finally, my husband was finally like, I think you need to get rid of this stuff. 
But yeah, I mean, for a while he was for a while. I mean, that's what I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it from home. You know, I, um, it, it wasn't like it was my first rodeo. It wasn't like I hadn't owned a business before. Um, right. you know, so I was like, okay, I'm going to do all the things to get to, to have a business at home, got my little cottage food license. And so, you know, Justin's like, all right, well, how are you going to find clientele? I'm like, okay, I am going to go on Facebook and you, yep. you guys before, when I was in corporate accounting, I, I had no Facebook following. I didn't even know how to use the dang platform. I mean, I had it in college, but I was like, you've ever like looked at your flashbacks of your Facebook posts when you first started and you're just like cringed at it. That was ugh. a thousand percent. So, I'm oh my God. Oh. All complaining. Oh my God. So I was like, all right, I figured out what mom's groups were. Right. So I, I posted in this mom's group and, and I, I was testing out, um, just different cupcake recipes and, and all these different things. And so I posted in this mom's group. I wanted to do a cake tasting. And I just said, Hey, um, I'm hosting a cake tasting at this particular place. If there are, um, you know, it's going to be free, just come through. We're just looking for people to taste stuff. And if there are any businesses that would like to do grab bags, just come on in. You know, if you guys want to leave any cards or anything like that. And this girl, there were a bunch of businesses that, you know, left business cards or snacks or whatever the heck. And, but, um, there was this girl who asked if she could come by and drop off. Um, it was, I guess, a sample, um, obviously I was fine with that. She, she came to the um, place and she left a pretty oversized business card, like mm -hmm. so that it was clearly bigger than the rest of the cards. And it had this person's body on it, like a before and after photo. And so naturally you were looking at it and you're like, what the heck? Mm -hmm. um, and of course I asked her like, what is this? And she explained that she worked for a health and wellness company and, you know, you could lose inches in as little as 45 minutes. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I looked at her like she had five heads and I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. Um, I stuffed it in there and I really didn't think anything of it. She asked if she could add me on Facebook. And honestly, I was like, yeah, sure. Like whatever, no big deal. Um, and so that was my first encounter with the, the person. Mm -hmm. And then probably about later, I think that particular person posted on Facebook about needing like $500, but some sort of $500 bonus. And I think I was just at a spot where I was trying to get the bakery up and going and I saw the $500 post. And so of course I inquired about it. I was like, what is this? Yeah. And they immediately text me because they had my number from yep. the, the meeting. And so they gave me their pitch and, mm -hmm. um, I'm the kind of person, you know, I thought that I, uh, was, I thought I read like all the details, you know, I asked, I was like, I want the terms of conditions. I want to know what I'm getting myself into. And I read, I thought I read and understood all the policies and procedures. And I read, you know, all the lines and details. And I, I really thought I knew what I was getting into. And I specifically remember telling this person, I will absolutely not build you a team. Like, do not expect me to bring people in and recruit people. Like I absolutely will not do that. Like I am coming, like I just, I, I'll sell the product and that is it. I do not want to build a team at all. And yep. so I thought I had like, you know, this moral like compass that I was coming into. And, um, but that's, that's not a, how, that's how they get you. That's how they get you. I got into it. Yeah. Jen and I talked about, um, previously she's had two experiences with MLMs and both the times that she joined Ten, tended to be the most vulnerable times. She was just in a place where she desperately needed it. It came up as an extra 500 bucks or an extra thousand bucks. And she went for it. And I think that anybody that we speak to throughout these next couple of months of conversations are going to say something like that. It was a vulnerable time. 
I needed the extra income or whatever the case may be. And I got kind of sucked in. And by the time I realized where I was or got my head above water, it was too late, right? Like it was too far in. So how did that business go for you? Give me the scoop. Well, um, so I think, so I, I got, yeah, I don't know that I really did much the first probably, I don't know, couple of weeks or so, because I was very adamant about like, I'm not going to pitch something to somebody that like, I haven't tried. So right. like most MLMs, you know, they make you spend money to purchase this kit. And so I waited for the kit to get there. Um, so the kit came, I tried out some of the products and, um, honestly I put their, you know, cream thing on, um, and I could feel like that tingle that like minty. Yep. And so I was like, maybe, I don't know, like maybe it is working. I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm kind of like an anal retentive person. So like, I like, I like measured and I did the whole thing just because yep. I was like, listen, if I'm going to ask people, um, to use something, I want to make sure that it does work. And so, um, you know, to my great surprise after using like their, so they have like this four step application river. So I used the three of their applications and, um, shockingly enough, I had some results. And so I was like, oh my God, maybe this stuff does work. So then I started posting it on Facebook and I was like, Hey, I don't really know what this is, but this is what happened to me. Right. So pretty quickly, even though I had had no intention of building said team, it kind of just sort of happened. I hit that $500 bonus in about like three weeks or so. And so then my, my perspective was like, well, like, well, maybe if it works for me, maybe it can make work, for, work for other people. And so the person right. that I had sort of signed up with kind of, I think, fed onto that, you know, um, and made me feel like we could be besties, you know, mm -hmm. you know how they'll like kind of feed into that. Like we could be totally besties. Uh -huh. And I think that mm -hmm. she probably knew because she, of course she asked me like what my story was and stuff. And so I think she probably could just feel that I was sort of at this vulnerable point because I went from having, I mean, all of the friends that I had right. had from corporate America really felt like they couldn't, there's very few people that still sort of talk to me because I was kind of like tainted, you know, like I couldn't go to right. and do any of the things that they could go to. Like I couldn't go to any, I couldn't go to, you know, casino night. I couldn't go to the baseball games. Like I couldn't go to any of the so places crazy. that they could go right. because all of our old bosses and coworkers and you know, everybody hangs out with each other. So I think right. that probably could feel that I was loneliness. Pretty, yeah, I was pretty lonely. Like I was like, I have to make all new friends again. So I think she probably felt that. And, um, I want to believe at first that she's probably genuine, but I think that gen gen genuineness probably wore off pretty fast. Yeah. Um, and then I started in corporate America over again, I went to the private sector. And so that MLM really became like secondary income. Um, but it really, like it, I started getting out of like debt. And so I feel like it, the culture Maybe it was just my team. I, I, although I likely highly doubt it, um, but it, it like it, it started to feed into that, like, but you need this, but mm -hmm. you need this. Oh, but look at, you know, they have you post, like it paid for your groceries. It paid for this bill and it paid for, and it, I think it started to make you feel like all of the things that you were doing were more catapulted and like higher. And so it does something right to your mindset and you feel like you have to keep going. So it, right. You know, what it, year um, was this? When did you start? In. 
Um, 2015. I yeah, I started in 2015. I think probably like. So tell me what. Tell me your theory about this because I started um, that same company, and my story was a little bit different. But I started and started just posting janky stuff on Facebook that in no way, shape, or form could we get away with posting or have the interest that that we had now, right? Yeah, because yeah. what has happened is that everybody and their dog in America has posted, yeah. you know, just paid for my grocery bill with whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that there, it was also still a little bit wild, wild west at the time. There was also something a little bit, I mean, it was starting to seep in and, and you may have a different thought about this, but I feel like our, what we had at that place with those products and that kind of theme it, it, there weren't as many people posting that same stuff. And so we, I felt also, I was very lonely. I was in corporate America. My husband was a police officer. I was leaving corporate America. And all of a sudden I was part of this group of people that I felt like I was a part of something. And on social media, it also looked like that too. So that played into that whole need to stay and desire to continue building and prove myself. And it lent into this whole different realm not just paying my bills, but it like brought me into a whole different realm of desire for what I wanted out of that business. I don't know if that happened to you, but. Well, I think for me and like my, or at least what I found for, so they have like these ranks and um, I think from that $500 mark, then they have this like $10,000 bonus mark. And so that like particular rank. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that the network that I happen to have between those particular ranks, the people that were on my social media, those people weren't, I don't think really looking for like friends. I don't know that they paid, that they really paid attention much to like me looking like I had friends. I think that they cared more that like, oh my God, she bounced back. She's actually paying her bills because they were people that were in the corporate world. And I think they honestly believed that like, I was going to just become this, um, stay at home mom. And they, I don't know that they thought I would bounce back because at the time, I didn't really have like other friends, right? Other than right. Um, people I went to college with or people that I worked with. And so on my way from this $500 bonus to this $10,000 bonus, they sort of teach you how to network. Mm-hmm. So th- I think that's where the the path between them and I started to kind of separate because I, they th- that particular company has this like really weird like tactic on how to grow your network. It's this very spammy, add everyone and their mother and their damn dog, right? To your profile. And then like these, hey girl, hey messages that I swear to God will haunt me, haunt you in your sleep. Mm-hmm. That never really sat well with me. I'm not, um, I don't know. I just not, I'm not, I might seem really outgoing, but I'm really socially awkward. It just feels very uncomfortable to do that. So I always sort of, I think they call it what now they call it a law of attraction. Mm-hmm. or whatever they call whatever mm-hmm. they call that style of marketing. Yep. And so I just always um wanted to build some sort of like connection. I did a lot of my mark like my my growth in um person to person events. Like I started doing expos right before I hit that like $10,000 um bonus mark. Mm-hmm. I did it in groups. So I was inside those groups and things because I had the bakery. And so I would go to these mom's groups and that's where I was like building these relationships with people. So I was like, well, if I can build a relationship with a person with this bakery, then maybe I could do it with this MLM. And so I always, I always did things really different than other people. And it made my relationship with people in that MLM 
I just never really quite fit. Right. So it was like this really weird sort of dynamic because it's like, I wanted to belong, but like, and I was performing. So it's like, they kept me around, but it was just right. really weird. Like just this very weird, weird dynamic. I was the same way. So, um, to, to give the listeners some background, it was, um, oh, did I cut out? Mm-hmm. Okay. I was the same way. So yeah. to give the listeners some background too. And, and I think that that is starting to change. People have really, people are really kind of rejecting the highlight reel, at least a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, yes, there are influencers. Yes. There are people with, you know, flashy lives and yes, there are the perfect filters. There's plenty of it on Instagram, but there are also what's, what's come out of the last couple of years is a lot of real people. And, Mm -hmm. and I feel like you probably felt this way too, but at that specific company, the sales tactic was that you had this perfect life, um, house built by wraps, car purchased, you know, whatever, lots of people standing in front of their front porches in yes. really fancy clothes with their hands up in the air, like they just don't care. Um, yes. And talking about this life that they had built and it all had to have really good filters and it all had to have, like, there were a lot of blondes and I'm not even against blonde. Yes. It's not anything about that, but there was a lot of very long blonde hair with really beautiful kids and backgrounds and homes and cars. And that's again, what was sold. So, you know, the wine business that I was in sold flashy parties with lots of alcohol and like BMWs this was a different flash. This was, this was beautiful blonde women on top of rocks. I mean, I think one even had like a mermaid costume on or something like that. That was, it was a, it was a lifestyle. And again, that's a whole concept that we, that we could talk about at the end of this. Um, I'm not surprised that you didn't fit into that. And I'm also not surprised that I didn't fit into that. And I'm not surprised that we found each other because sometimes the black sheep tend to, to draw each other out. And I'm also not surprised that we didn't make it. We didn't survive because I don't think that when you're put in an environment where everybody needs to look the same, I think there's going to be a lot of casualties. And so, um, you told me a story that you were starting to build some momentum. You were starting to have some success and then you got sick. You had your baby and then you got sick. Tell me about what happened at that time. So, um, okay. So Justin and I got, we got pregnant, um, and I had Kingston, I think probably maybe eight weeks early. So he like, or, or he barely missed the NICU. So he, we were like real super close to the NICU. Yep. So that was April of 2016. Um, and so I think it was right before they have like this next rank. Right. Um, so they, um, I have Kingston and I think probably like there's something, there was just something about his pregnancy. Like I was, I got on bed rest a couple months before. So I kind of knew there was something like going on that I was like, okay, something, something's not right here. And so, um, right after I have him probably about two and a half weeks or so later, I had this like pain, right? Like in my arm and I'm like something and I end up in the hospital and it's a massive blood clot. Like we're talking like the thing was huge. Like the blood clot was like this size and, and one along. And then the other one, it was kind of, it was smaller, but in my left lung, it was so big. My lung just like collapsed completely. And I just remember being in the hospital and like, um, they had to transport me to another one because it just couldn't like one hospital couldn't support the other one. And so I, uh, your postpartum, obviously you're still bleeding from postpartum. And so they have to give you blood thinners. Yeah. And, um, my body started rejecting the antibiotics. I got, it got an infection. I got an infection and I was there for, I missed the first like solid couple of weeks of Kingston's life. And so at, at some point, um, they've tried giving me everything. They told my husband like, Hey, does she have like, like a DNR? Like, what are her, like, 
you know, what are her plans? Like if she doesn't make it, like, what, what do we have to do? And it got to a point where like, I, they had to put like, you know, the catheter and all those things in and like, you know, they're, they're like, she's, we've tried everything. We're trying everything like the infection. I couldn't breathe on my own anymore. Like my lungs had completely collapsed. I think the space between like where I could breathe was getting smaller and smaller. And they were just like, you know, we, they were going to have to like cut me open and try to drain them. And they're like, even then like her body is just like, the infection was just growing everywhere. So they were just like, we're not, you know, we don't know if she's going to make it through the night. So that, that night that they told me, or they told my husband, Hey, she, we don't still know if she's going to make it through tonight, that, that morning I had texted the person that I had signed up with. And at that point I thought we were kind of, I mean, I'd been there about a year and, um, I asked them, I told them what was going on. I was like, listen, you know, obviously I've been here for a couple of weeks. You guys know I'm in the hospital. I said, they don't think I'm going to make it through the night. And, um, there's a couple of things. One, like I need to know how to will my business to my husband. Like, how do I do that? Because I read in the policies and procedures that you right. can do that. So like, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. Number two, um, I need to get to this rank, this double rank. And mm-hmm. I, I, cause I need to leave my family money at this point. You know, I was obviously working in corporate. I still was making cakes on the side and I had this income. And while at the time, I think the income was giving me like an extra anywhere from like $2,000 ish a month, maybe a little less than that. I was like, you know, this double rank promised like 4,000 or something. And I was like six. Okay. I couldn't remember. And I was like the double, the double diamond is what it's called. Rank was the whole reason I got in to that company because 6,000 a month. And I was like, Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, I I just want to be able to give. And at the time I thought it was residual because what I had, yeah, it just, mm. and I, so I asked her, what do I need to do? How far, how far am I away? And her response, which still to this day, I keep the text messages just to, it's a, yeah. Still to this day, um, her response was two. The first one was, I'm sorry to hear that. The second one was how much can you spend to get there? And I remember just thinking like, well, we're not like, what do you mean? We're not allowed to do that because the, I mean, the FTC, you're, li- you're not allowed to bonus buy is literally it's against the rules. You're not allowed to do it. It's in the policies and procedures that you can't do that. So I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, you're not allowed to do that. But I think I was in such a desperate moment and such desperation because I was like, well, what's the matter? I mean, if I die tomorrow, what the, does it matter? Like, right. what does it matter? I'm not going to be here. And yeah. all I could think about was my husband at home with a brand new baby. And how was he going to, you know, what, what was he going to do? Um, and so I told her I have $1,200. That's what I have. And I gave them the whole thing. I gave them all of it. And then the person that hired me up, I think spent like a thousand dollars. And then that person, the person above her spent like a thousand dollars. And so, um, that, that, that night, um, I mean, that's a different topic, but anyways, I obviously made it through very interest, very scary experience, but they ended up being able to drain my lung. And, um, I like woke up the next morning and made a miraculous, like I miraculously walked and I hadn't walked in weeks. So and then wild. they, um, they took me down to have my, my lung drained and I had to be awake for the whole thing. They cut my back open, stuck the thing down and sucked whatever they could out of me. And I just remember just being in this excruciating pain, but thinking about my kids the whole time, like I would do just about anything obviously to survive. And then, um, 
the end of that month comes, I obviously hit that rank, come to find out the person above me hits this rank called triple and the person above them hits this rank called presidential. And I just thought to myself, they were so casual about it. It didn't, they, it, it, they were going to do it anyways. I just knew they were going to do it anyways. I just made it easier for them because I coughed up whatever little money I that my family gonna... had had. So it's so crazy because you told me this story last week. I've heard this story before, but I didn't even think about it like that because I was like, how were they so casual about it? Like, I'm surprised they didn't go to you. You had to come to them. I'm yeah. so, she said, I'm sorry to hear that, but how much can you spend? So the, their plan was to get the job done no matter what. They were oh, going to fill those sure. boxes. You oh, just yeah. happened to be a near-death experience and made it $1,200 cheaper for them. Yeah. Okay. I, okay. There's way more to this story, but a couple of things. Number one, one thing that stands out is that I think that a lot of families that get caught up into this are maybe not at near death, but they are at a place where they are parents saying, I would do anything for my kids. I would do anything for my family, whether it's selling trinkets on the side of the road or spending 1200 to make 1400 or whatever the case may be. That's why people get caught in over their heads. Number two, do you, here's a question for you. And I didn't prepare you for this. So, so you answer the way that you want to answer, but in general, especially with the skeezy kind of things, is it the chicken or the egg? Do bad people get into MLM or does MLM make people bad? That's a good question. I, it's a shameful question because I've done MLM. So I have some shame that surrounds me. Was I bad or did it make me bad? Or did I, am I good? Cause I escaped it. Like I ask myself that question all the time. What do you think happens? Honestly, I think that both things can be true as simultaneous, simultaneously. Like, I think that sketchy people can enter the MLM sphere. No, like knowing, knowing that it's can be easily exploitable. But I also think that really good people can enter with really good heart, want to be accepted, or whether it's this instinctual part of you to just like want to do everything you possibly can to for your kids. Or for some people, it's this. Like I had people on my team that after that experience happened, they put me on this like pedestal, right? Like, oh my God, look at this amazing thing that she did, right? When she was on her near death bed and they kind of made me this like weird celebrity, right? But nobody really told the story of, well, you know, she had to spend $1,200 and it was really, obviously no one's going to say that, even though it felt telling the story of this triumph felt so gross because it wasn't really the whole true story. And at some point, the truth came out to my team, obviously. And it's because I told them the truth because I could not, no, I was like, well, no, that's not exactly how it happened. But how that backfired was that they then felt that to achieve that, they must do that. And so I ended up, it, it ended up creating this place where I would tell them, no, there's a better way. We can do this a better way. And so for some, it created this resentment, like, well, you got the job. You're only, yeah. You're only saying that because you want to be the only one to, to be I'm able to have story. that. And then other people were like, Hey, I really respect the fact that like, you're seeing 
this and you don't want us to get in the same situation. So it really, so I think that those so there were some angst. I think that that two, those two things can be true simultaneously. I think we need to explain too, um, when she's talking about a better way and we're talking about spending money at the end of the month, here's why this happens. So companies, you know, this specific company had a bonus that was, if you hit a certain rank, um, if you hit a diamond status, you got a $10,000 bonus. If you hit the double diamond status, you got a $25,000 bonus. Is that right? Were those the correct? It was like 10,000 and 20,000 or 20. I think at some point they may have varied, but that's probably. And then they doubled them at some point in time. And that's another whole red flag in and of itself. So, um, but what happens is that these companies will throw out these bonuses. If you get to this status at this point in time, you get a bonus. However, the bonus is not paid out in full. So $10,000 isn't deposited into your bank account that next month because you've hit a certain goal. It's paid out over 25 months, or it was for us at that specific place, um, $400 a month for 25 months or whatever. So when I was there, over 12 months. Yeah, for us, it was over 12 months. At some point, I think in like 2017, maybe way later, because yeah, when I left, because I earned a quote unquote, I'm using air quotes here, um, a $100,000 bonus, it would have yeah. been in 2015 and it was paid out over the 25 months. So it was $4,000. Um, yeah, my $100,000 bonus in 2017 was paid out in, I think 13 months. So they changed it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's paid out over an extended amount of time. So the purpose of this conversation is that what ends up happening to people is that, and and I mean, you can decide whether this makes sense to you or not. For me, I still can't think, I mean, it made sense to me. If I had a $4,000 bonus on the line and I was $2,000 away from getting it and I busted my butt all the way through the end of the month, I was sure going to buy $2,000 worth of stuff or figure out how to do that so that I could make the 4,000. It's it it made total sense to me when I look back at it and the closet full of product that I had um, and the people that were spending 300 to make 600, it was just wild. It was just, it was such a false business. And it wasn't the fact that people spending 300 to make 600, they didn't go in the negative, but here's how they did go in the negative. They pushed that for so long and they spent, they spent more money than, I mean, it was a whole bunch of, spe- of people spending five to make six. So there was no real business there. Okay. So when you were on your deathbed spending 1200 and then your upline person spent another 1500 and her upline spent another 2000 or whatever it was, that wasn't a real business that actually hit that goal. And what these companies yeah. do is they throw out these big bonuses, knowing that that's going to happen, whether they say it out loud or not whether it's allowed in quote unquote policies and procedures, they know that people are going to break those. They know that get, people are going to you know, sign up their trash can and their dog and their grandma that passed away in 97. They know people are going to do that. And then they know that those people are going to lose those bonuses. And so what they've done is they've created this false culture of these people that have these hero stories that then can't go back on the story because you don't want to lose your status. And it's not just because of the paycheck. It's because of the, the shame. Oh yeah. I mean, at that point it's like, so the first hero story they created for me was you're on your deathbed and you hit this double. I didn't, I mean, I didn't even get it a chance to say anything about it before they already created it. What was I going to say? What could I say? 
what could I say? I could say nothing because at that point, like a total fraud, right? At that point, they already created the story and created the storm. I couldn't say anything. So it's like, they just create this monster and you can't get past it. The monster too, like just to rant. Okay. What kind of freaking story is that anyway? Look at Nicole. She almost died. Nobody came to save her. Nobody even like was really grieving with her. They said, sorry to hear that. And then, but she still made double diamonds. She was, she was in the hospital and she still made double and you guys can do it too. What they're teaching is that at all that bar, like at no, um, no prisoners taken, you better get your rank done. And there's no excuses for you. Even if your kid is sick, even if your mom just passed away, even if you have literally all the life being thrown at you, you better get it done because Nicole did. And she was nearly dead. And here's the crazy thing. Disgusting. The crazy thing is that in my head, I, I literally, and at some point I think I was like, you know what? I just, I want to ask, like, I need to ask for the things I need to be grateful for because I had a corporate job and I did, I, you know, I had to stop making cakes because I was sick at some point in time. Then I, you know, got diet. I had a really just rough, ugly, just like all the rest of 2016. I mean, I hit that double run at some point. I obviously fell apart. The entire thing fell apart. Right. Because that's when I realized there is no residual. There is no residual, right? There's none. Not building anything that's real no, because exactly. it's all fake product yeah, purchases. So, so has 2016 finishes, um, you know, I, I was telling myself, well, yeah, I was in the hospital, but like I, if I owned a bakery, like I was going to make no income. And then I have at a corporate job, like you're in the hospital, like I could make no income. And so I do, I, and I don't want to get it twisted. Like I do believe that internet-based businesses do fill some sort of role. 100%. I do think that, but what I just cannot swallow is that some of the tactics that these companies use are just so outlandish and disgusting that it makes it really hard for legitimate internet businesses to fill that role. Right. Right. And so I think for me, I, I kind of like, it was really easy, right. To, to get me to suck into that, um, narrative because I was on my deathbed because I was the person who couldn't make any other income other than that, because I physically could not go to a job and I physically could not make the cakes. So it was really easy for me to get swept up right in that story. And then, and then that was just the first hero story that they created for me as time went on 2016. Like I got sicker and sicker and sicker. I mean, I y'all not TMI, but I bled for eight damn months straight every single day. I, sometimes I couldn't even get out of bed. It was so eventually they figure out girls got female cancer going on down there. And so they got to rip everything out. So it's the end of what, 2016 battling with the insurance companies or whatever. And at this point I'm like, okay, I have dwindled whatever business has dwindled down. Um, I, you know, 2017, I I don't even think I could go to their little conference that they had. Um, because I had my, I think I had a hysterectomy at the beginning of 2017. So Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, you know, can't travel, can't do anything. Sure. So the person that I had signed up with, you know, I was their bestie when they wanted $1,200 to get to that double ring, but they were nowhere to be found for the entire rest of that year. And I think at some point I really did some like deep digging when I realized that I needed a hysterectomy. I was never going to have another child. And I had had a conversation with that person and just told them, and this is 
I mean, this is who I am as a person. I told them directly, listen, I'm branching off, going on my own island away from y'all and um, whatever, you know, people that I can work with, I will, I'll work with them because I've realized again, I'm going to make no other income, but this. And I just told them like, I, I don't, I don't like you people. I don't, You're bad. you guys are not good humans. You're just not good humans. You're, this is, these are all the things that I don't like about this model. And I told them specifically, you know, the story y'all created and are making people think they need to spend 400 to get to eight, you know, get 800. And I just, that made me feel sick and gross. So my mother said they got very, and I know we're going to have an episode about Herbalife, but they got real harmed about harm from that thing that happened with the Hispanic community. And so I specifically said, I don't want to be a part of anything with people got product in their damn closet. I can't, I can't do that. So I got to think of another way. I got to do something different. So 2017, the beginning of 2017 rolls around that particular person I signed up with posts on our team page. Hey, I'm going to go presidential and I'm going to take X person triple. That person was a person on my team underneath me. So they created this dramatic storm, right? To get everybody all riled up and realize like it's them versus me. And that's what they do. Let me, let me just simple it down for anybody that hasn't ever done a business like this, what they did in that post, because what happens in MLM specifically certain companies. And in this one specifically is that for you to hit a status or a rank, you had to have certain people at certain ranks in certain legs. Okay. So like in your little pyramid or whatever, people don't want to call it a pyramid, but in your little chart, we called it charts, the boxes, you had to have a certain status. And so the status that this person needed was a triple diamond. Nicole would have been that triple diamond, but she told this person to buzz off. And so that person took somebody beneath Nicole publicly posted as this person being my triple so that I can go presidential. And let me just say too, number one, what that did was that outed Nicole, that she wasn't going to be that person. And then it fed that beast of loneliness. That is the whole reason why a lot of people get, get people into MLMs is to, is to um, make them feel like they're a part of something. And so then you get ousted. It's a huge mm-hmm. part of the culture is who's, who's in the in crowd and who's not. And so what she did was she just publicly outed you as her person. And one more thing that ends up happening is that people start to, to lay claim on, they want to please that next person. They want to be the A player. They want to be the triple for the prez. And, um, so I just wanted to explain what that actually, what actually happened there. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's exactly what happened is they just, they did that so strategically to make it like to create this really toxic culture of you versus me in this very, and it's because they couldn't face the reality that I did not like them. And I did not like the behavior. And I was, I was completely dismissive of, Hey, I made a, a, you know, a draw a line in the sand. We're not going to buy product that we're not going to use. We are not going to use this model. We're leaving your team page. We are, I'm out like peace you know, we're not going to, I refuse to, I'm not signing people up and leaving them in the pack of wolves. Like I wanted to create something right. That mirrored more like corporate America, come in, have a training system. Like I wanted to, to do what, honestly, I thought that it should have been mirrored like 
forever. Right. And so I saw that post and, um, I, I looked at my husband and, you know, a couple months before that, he kind of just told me, Hey, like you, you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. And I think that that was probably the sign that I needed. And so in my head, I was like, all right, well, whatever they're going to do what they're going to do. And I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And so, um, I, I, um, I did just that. And so at that, I think at that time I was making like maybe 500 bucks. Um, I worked my mother loving tail off, um, took all that product that I, I got together with a couple of people that I was, you know, that would have whatever left that mess of mess. And we all got together and we started doing, we went back to what worked for me which was in-person stuff. We, we did these like facial parties. We did yeah. these expos. I got back in front of people with product um, and made it back to what was a real business. And so we functioned how an actual direct sale business should function. And um, uh, I went from that $500 rank to an actual $10,000 rank. I surpassed what they would have ever expected. So I went from that 500 to that triple in yeah. that, I think like a month span. Then that following month, I, my, I helped my, got my husband to like double. And then that third month I hit triple or I hit presidential. And so then their corporate office created this second hero story, right? Oh, yeah. Oh um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Nicole went from $500 to this presidential diamond, right. In three months. And before I knew it, like I did it for my family, but I also did it to just like, honestly say uh, to you, uh, to them, because I, I just, I don't know what it is about their toxic culture that just like activates this part of you. It's really crazy. But, um, but so then they created this second like hero story and it really caught the entire company by storm. And before I knew it, I was thrusted into this limelight. I never asked for, and my story grew bigger than I could contain it. And I was like on stages and I was on trainings and I was on, and, you know, um, I, I, so one of the businesses I own currently, I'm an astrologer. I've been a practicing astrologer for a very long time. Astrology has been a part of my life for for as long as I can remember. And one of the methods that I used in charting, which Aaron kind of talked about briefly was people's astrological chart. I would pair people up based on some people use the color profile, but I base people together based on their astrological chart. And at some mm-hmm. point the word got out and like, then it's like their, their corporate office started to like tailor my story. And like, you know, they were, they started to tell me things I couldn't talk about. Like they didn't want me talking about that. And they didn't want me, like, I wasn't allowed to talk about the, like I could talk about the expos, but like, I couldn't talk about what was really happening at the expos. So at the expos, what was really happening is all that damn product that they were you know, that was in people's closets, people's closets was, and down their throats was being yeah. sold, was being sold. Money did you make selling those products at expos? <laughs> so my, myself personally, I think in one year we made like 70 grand in just That's cash. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they started catering the story and it went from like being, you're this, you're this story that like, you know, people can I don't know, this comeback story, right. To being mm-hmm. like, okay, now we're going to fit you in this box and like cater it to like how to what, they we, didn't highlight yeah, to what, what we want, how can we, how can we use it to our benefit? Right. Um, and it, then it really started to get really ugly because I started to be able to kind of see behind mm-hmm. and like, see what was really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just got real like 2018 got that 2018 convention was really eye-opening 
Um, I think I started really ruffling feathers in 2017. I started asking questions and started kind of pushing the limit. Um, they ended up making me like their marketing, like their, their, I don't know, what do they call it? Their diamond of the year or some crap just to kind of like keep me quiet or satisfied. Mm -hmm. Um, they offered me like a role on like one of their traveling tours. I got sick again. It was just really, I think the more questions you start to ask, right. They start to try to give you these accolades to try to silence you, but I'm not that person. So that method didn't work with me. So I think too, um, you know, this part of your two parts of your story that are actually very common, you're very uncommon, you know, you're kind of a one in a million personality. And I think they didn't know what to do with you, but I also think that they appeal to people like you and I, that for whatever reason, have enough daddy issues that when you piss us off, Mm -hmm. if I can get pissed, you cannot outwork me. Now I'm old now and I'm a little tired and like, it's not the same. Erin Clark is not the same as she was in 2016, but if I am, if piss me off and then get out of my way. And I think that people telling me that I can't do something. I think that people getting condescending with me. I think that there's something that happens and it goes way deep down to my childhood with the always Aaron haters club, right? Yeah. Um, put me on the outside and I will fight, right? And I think that they know, and I think that they also appeal to people like that. A lot of the times, again, this need for inclusion and need to please, they know that they're doing that. And so they find people like you and I that would cut our own arms off <laughs> make daddy proud or whatever it is. Right. So they, they got that part of you and, and thank God that that part of you exists because you took care of your family and you showed again, it's kind of like what the, what the casinos thought, like she'll never bounce back. Well, you always do. So there's that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also think the second piece of it is that, and I, and I think we'll have a lot of these conversations with leaders and I, and I want to talk to everybody. I want to hear everybody's story, but I think that the leader's Um, have a different perspective because what happens to a leader is that they pull the curtain back. And once the curtain's back, you can't unsee what you've just seen. Once you see the the drunk person flapping around saying she's gonna, you know, she rules the world. Once you see the leaders and the, and the corporate staff and the people in their real, you know, it's, I don't even know what movie I would use to describe it, but it's almost like, and it happens at corporate America. It happens in real estate. It happens in schools. It happens in churches. Like this ain't ain't just MLM folks. Okay. So let's just be real. But once you see people in their real element for, as they really are, it changes things. And, um, and I think that's, I think you had that happen more than most. I think that you got to a place where you had something that they wanted. Um, you mentioned that, and I don't know how much we can even talk about, but you mentioned that one of the reasons why ultimately you are no longer at that organization is because those expos that you were selling all that product and having all that success, they wanted your story to benefit them, but they also wanted the expos. Yes. They wanted those. And it makes sense. I understand why they would want them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. They, um, I mean, I think there were different layers of different things that they want, like people wanted. Like, I think that the, like, I think that the team, right. That I had like signed on with, I think they had a different agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, they were local to me and they wanted me to go away. Right. Like they were like, Hey, like she's just, I would, I disrupted their flow. Like I yeah. made it impossible. Well, not necessarily impossible, but I just made it 
I made it more difficult, right, for them to do their business the way that they had always done it because I gave people um, a different voice. I was the person that was posting on social media, like, hey, um, you know, what happened a lot was that people would, we would hit ranks, right? Um, let's say we hit rank of presidential, but maybe you're not maintaining that rank. And so I changed the conversation. And I, instead of making it shameful to be like, I, I hit presidential and um, they, people would keep, like they would act as if like they didn't, they, dro they didn't drop rank or stuff. My posts were, um, yeah, I am not maintaining presidential, but I'm making more as a triple than a presidential makes on your little income disclosure. And I would have proof for it. Like I would be posting what the, because, you know, I've never been in an industry where people ask you to see your paychecks, but I understand people want transparency. So every now and then I would be like, you know what? Um, all right, fine. I will, I will post a screenshot of what my transfer is for this month. And it will literally say on it, I'm paid as this rank here's the transfer, here's the income disclosure statement that says the averages. And that really disrupted people because I think it gave the public, right? At this point, my network had grown to the thousands. I mean, I had, uh, what, 20,000 followers on Instagram, thousands of, I don't know, thousands of people on um, Facebook looking at my posts and people saw transparency and that really kind of disrupted what other people were doing because they couldn't lie anymore and they, they couldn't, couldn't lie anymore. well when you're building when you're you're traditionally used to building a business where everybody's having to buy in at the end of the month or where it's unheard of that people are losing their status nobody wants to talk about it it's the yeah. un it's the unsaid shameful thing which is mm -hmm. why people get stuck there i mean listen i swear the whole reason why i was brave enough to leave and start looking around and think like i've got to figure out something different is because leaders started talking about what was really happening and and the real and I honestly think people would have lasted longer if we would have just been able to talk about it. it, I, it I think that in any organization, you know, taking MLM out of it, but in any organization, when people feel too shameful, um, it's you know, you and I have worked together. I I'm constantly trying to drag people out of the the hidden closet because shame is what it, we will deteriorate in shame. When we hide and when we're, when we're so worried about disappointing others, or when we're so worried about disappointing ourselves or breaking the highlight reel, we die. But yeah. when we can be honest and be unapologetically who we are and give it our damnedest, that is when we soar. And I feel like those companies mess up too, when everybody feels like they have to hide behind who they're supposed to be. So like, I remember those posts. And I don't yeah. even know what, what would the FTC think about income being posted? I guess you always posted the income disclosure, always. which was part of it because yeah. you were like, Hey guys, the ranks don't mean shit because yeah. you can do this in a different way and make your own rules and run a yeah. real business. Mm -hmm. um, and what's shameful about it is that the way that you were doing it was about as real as they come and yeah. they didn't like it. They, they hated it. And that's what. And that's the thing is like, so, so my, so there was two different perspectives of things that I, I like really pissed everyone off. And it's like, and I, and I think that that's what kind of hurt me. Cause I was like, but, but I don't understand why, like, but anyone could do, anyone could take the model and do the same thing. I don't understand why. Right. And I think that that's been sort of a lesson that I've had to learn in my life in general is that that's the kind of person that I am. I come, I just disrupt the normal flow of things. I just like finding 
a different way of doing things. And I think that a lot of people just in life in general, like they like doing things the way that things have always been done. Right. But I, I just, my brain is just wired to find the mo the, the optimal way of doing something. But right. when it comes to business, my brain is wired to find the most lucrative way of doing something. Like how can I, in, within this framework, help, like, how can we make the most right out of whatever we have? Mm -hmm. And I just, I think that I, my people, I, I cared so much about them. And I just feel like we got, we were such a close knit group of people. I knew their families and I just was like, how can they, right? How can, how can they, not everybody had like a husband, right. That would watch the kids while I went to expos. Like not everyone had honestly the luxury that I had where like, we really worked like as a team. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, it got to a point where for the expos, like we, we did profit sharing. Cause I just did so many of them that like, we were able to, I was able to include my team that really pissed people off because they were just like, oh my God, like her team, right. People from other teams that were not a part of our team at all. were like, is there any way, like I would have people coming to the expos to train with me yep. and I would no problem. I got nothing to hide. I'll teach you. Come, come on. I have people from other teams. They come, they'd shadow us. I would show them how we, how we sell all these products. I'm like, all oh, you got, you can't, I said, you can't bring your own product because our team paid for this expo, but I will teach you. You can watch us take notes yep. and they would get in there. And as, a, as the expo would end, I'd be like, come on, jump in and you can talk with people and show right. them. And it would piss people off to no end because they, I, which I don't, I still to this day don't understand, but there's enough for everyone. And I think that that like sort of abundance mindset really just irked people. So that I think the community, I mean, there were plenty of people that were, that loved me because when eventually I did part ways, I did not experience a lot of the hatred and stuff that people experienced when they left the company. Like I didn't have that. Right. So I didn't experience like really being kicked out, right. Or being like plastered all over and stuff. Right. But I think when I was there, that was one of, those were several of the things that people really were like, I can't believe this. Mm -hmm. On the corporate side, what they didn't like was, you know, I asked questions like, why, why do you have a shell company for every single thing you're doing? Like, they did not like that. They did not like that. I was like, this is sketch. Why are you like, why are you giving top leaders? Like they would bring in people who were supposed to be business and tax professionals, like, and they were giving them advice that I would, I mean, I was in the corporate accounting world. I'm not a CPA, but I've heard plenty of business pitches. I would say that some of the advice that top leaders were getting from these quote unquote professionals would be borderline illegal. Criminal. I mean, prim like, yeah, I'm just like, so I would ask questions that I don't think many people were asking. And so I think that they really were like, she has got a red flag. Then um, I, I wouldn't give up information that they wanted. Um, I was pretty kind of quiet about how the expos and stuff, like I was open about how they were working, but I was super quiet about how I was negotiating the contracts. Cause they um, were your contracts. Cause they were mine. You got, mm -hmm. yeah. And I read all the policies and procedures and I wasn't afraid to say that. So when, you know, their compliance department would call me and ask me for the contracts, I would say, well, policy section 10 of one, whatever says that I can enter into a contract on my own and that your company it's separate. So I don't need to give it to you. And I think that that really stirred up some trouble. Um, and at some point they wanted me to do like trainings with just their top staff. And I said, no, if I'm going to do a training, it's open to everybody. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing a training on how to do what I do, 
it's open to everyone. It is not open to just like your top 1%. That's not, no, because they already make hundreds of thousands of dollars. I want to help the person who's just starting make 70 grand a year. And so that was, I, so that was part of the problem. Um, but I think the, the, the icing on the cake that really just devastated me was that final conference in 2019. So the expo, so in 2019, they were going to have me come to their conference and do a like expo training, right. For everybody. So I was like, cool, I can do that. Fine. So about, I don't know, maybe two weeks before we we're supposed to get there, they tell me they decided to cut that portion of the conference. So I was like, you know what, fine, whatever. I'm not, I'm not even going to argue, even though I thought it was complete, just crap. So they still invited me and a couple of like, um, just like our teammates at the time mm -hmm. to their VIP box. But I get there, come to find out they were still doing like in, not exactly an expo, but like an in-person panel. And they replaced me with the person who had signed me up. The person so, that texted you and asked you how much you could spend the person that publicly outed you and replaced you and talked crap. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff. So not yeah. only did they, they diss you, um, because you wouldn't give all the information, but they also replaced you with the person yeah. that had continuously stabbed you for the last, however many years. And they probably, I guarantee they knew it. Guaranteed. Oh no, they knew. Cause I had reported it. It's not like I did. It wasn't quiet. I was, I reported it many times. It didn't matter. Um, and so that was pretty, like, I think that was like the knife that really just like it. I mean, I cried. I'm not a huge, like at the time I wasn't, he, I wasn't a healed person. So I didn't do a lot of crying. Um, but I broke down, like I, I cried. And I remember my regional at the time, my husband was demanding answers. Like he was mm -hmm. like, I have lost my wife. She has been sick. She has, I mean, I, he's like, I've lost whole seasons of my life to this company. I am demanding mm -hmm. answers right now. Like, I want to know why she is not on that stage, why you are glorifying a person who's made $700, like making this retail cash you speak of. He's like, Nicole brought in $70,000 on her own. And she can give stories of how her team, like how she's taught her team to bring in these astronomical amounts of the money, how they have paid off. I mean, our teams have paid off student loans, credit card bills. We had a team leader that, remodeled her entire backyard all completely in cash and they have no product in their closet. Like, Don't you think that that's why partly because yeah, yes, it's an ego thing. Yes. You pushed the limit too far, but it's also their, their goal isn't for the little guy to make a lot of money. It's yeah. It's, so that's eventually it finally clicked, but I think that for, it doesn't fit the narrative. The problem was that our, my husband and I were so like, we, we're, get it. We were so on our own island for so long that we forgot that we forgot that like, oh wait, we are the anomaly. Like right. we forgot because we create, when we left and when we left these crazy people in 2017, we forgot that the culture we created on our own little island was not the actual culture, right. you know? And that's what happens when you take yourself out of the toxicity and you create this bubble, you forget that that's not what everyone else is doing. And we, be, and like our people did not understand like, right. because the environment we created for them was this truly this empowering. We really were like this actual team and really, and so it was really devastating. Um, it, that was just, that was, that was it. And they, and they, my regional did give me, um, did give me an answer why. Um, and she just told me that the owner of the company did not want to put me on stage because he thought my story was 
too, it empowered too many people. And he was, the company was basically undergoing just a lot of change. And there was a lot of movement between like people leaving the company. And they just thought that if I ever got this essentially wild hair and decided to leave, if too many people heard my story and were empowered by me, they would leave with me. And I was so devastated by that because I was naive enough to think that I could change. Like I could, I could just change the world there. Like I was, I didn't, it did not occur to me. Like, I was like, why would I leave when I could just help everybody here do what I did? Right. It just, it didn't. It's one of those, I've watched, I've watched many companies do this over and over and over again. And we're picking on this group because this is what your background is, but I've watched um, it's, it's the, it's the mindset of, um, it's the opposite of abundance mindset. It's, yeah. it's when you start accusing your partner of cheating over and over and over again. And then finally they're like, fine, I'm going to get a girlfriend. I mean, God, you know, um, I I've watched them do that out of fear because others had left. They gave you even an option. I mean, and then forced your hand anyway, but I just feel like they have, they had, I was just as naive as you. I would have never, I would have never gone anywhere, even though I was, even though I was embarrassed and working myself to the actual bone and doing things different and trying desperately to train. I mean, I will never forget two weeks before we ended up leaving. Um, I did a video because it was during that time on social media where we were starting to see profiles that said no raps allowed. Yeah. When people were just getting, mine was in, it would have been 2016. So this was before you were really, I mean, this was before your story, but for me, it was when we had already burned all the fields. I mean, from 2012 to 2016, all we did was post all day about join my team. Honestly, that's why I was like, I have like, I have to do something differently because people are so burned. And so I had started that process. And I remember doing this video and I titled it no raps allowed. And it went nuts. Um, and, and it was my first quote unquote, like I was so proud of it. Like there was like 7,000 views or something, but in 2016 for me, I was like a nobody. I had a buzz cut. I was like, I had a baby. Like it was just really bad. I had had a Britney Spears moment. Like things were not going well for me, but I did this video and I was like, guys, we have to change it up or we're hosed. And I truly think my demise, I left two weeks later and I didn't know I was going to leave. It was completely bizarre, but I think you and I would have been almost exactly the same because I was already pushing we both swim upstream. We don't do what everyone else is doing and we don't look like what everyone else looks like. And we do take a different route and it doesn't always work. I'm not saying I'm the smartest in the room, but I refuse to, I don't know. Anyways, I, I, uh, I, I would have had the same experience. I just ended up getting swept away sooner. And then I was hated. So the very end, um, are you comfortable sharing the, the last straw? Sure. I mean, yeah, I, I think that, so, I mean, after that conference happened, I mean, I just, I, I really had my tail tail between my legs. I think I just was super devastated. That happened pretty early on. I think it literally happened like the first day. Um, so I was pretty devastated. I remember sitting outside the VIP, my regional tried like to calm me down. And I was just like, you have no idea. My heart is shattered is broken. I am devastated. Um, and I just kind of remember sitting outside there and there was someone else, right. Who came and she's much, she's been in the company for a really long time. I think she was one of the first people that kind of started there and she, um, pulled me off to the side and, and, um, she gave me this incredible pep talk and, um, it gave me hope for the industry, not this company. Right. 
Um, but what she told me was that, you know, Hey, you, she's when I, when I started with this company, I did expos. Everybody was just doing like one-to-one like parties or however they were doing their thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was like, you, she's like, they used to tell me like, she's like, they would literally try to talk me out of it and tell me, you know, that this wasn't okay. And this and this and that. And she was like, you know, um, she's like, I would go home crying. Like the owner would call me directly and tell me like, I had to stop this. And she was like, you know, I got to, they had the Frank ambassador or whatever. She's like, I got you ambassador doing what you did. And she's like, you know, um, she's like, anyways, when you came to this company, she was like, I've watched you. My team looks up to you. You give us hope, right. To do it the right way. And I just remember looking at her and I asked her like, you know, why do you stay here? Like, I'm so mad. I'm so upset. Like what they're telling me. And so she told me something along the lines of like, when you are the trendsetter, like you're the person that at first, of course they don't like you. Of course, like, of course people don't understand, but you're, you pave the way for the people that come after you to have it easier. And I have carried that from that moment forward for, for everything. It doesn't just apply to MLM, but it reminded me that like when we're doing anything in life, right. And you're the first person to have to like speak up, right. And do something. It is always like, you're always the punching bag. Right. Um, and so she, I just, I picked up my sadness and I was like, you know what, there is some little mama somewhere who's got my sons on the spectrum. And I just kept thinking like, there's some one somewhere, right. Who is just so desperate and they need, they need a lifeline. And so I have to keep going. And, um, you know, this was also during a time when they were launching in another country and I was at one point, a part of that launch. And then they were trying to frame my story, um, as you know, their company basically saved my life. And they wanted me to go into this particular country and basically say, Hey, like you come, you know, join the company. And if you join the company, like, you know, you could essentially like make the money she did and she saved her life and like, whatever, save her life. I didn't do that. And, you know, I, again, thought back to the experience that Hispanics had with the other company. And I just like, I just, I think in that moment from that person's advice, I was like, I'm going to just, I'm going to stick with my moral code as best I can. Right. And continue forward. That happened in February. Uh, I had had a trip planned for my 30th birthday in April. Oh no. In March, I landed the biggest expo contract, I think in the history of ever. It's huge, massive contract. I got so excited. I contacted my team and we're talking like $100,000. A contract was worth $100,000. I contacted my team. It was, we would put my team I mean, our team was small, but we all made a, we all made a lot of money. I didn't, we didn't have a huge team. We was, we had a small team that made a lot of money. And so I contacted them. We created a profit sharing program. The word got out that I got the contract because people were just like, our team was just, they couldn't believe it. I mean, people, when I had the zoom to tell them that we got the contract and everyone was going to get a piece of it, that I, we were sharing it. I, it there was no, they couldn't contain themselves. So it got out. Meaning the wraps. Correct. Yeah. So you, yeah. in, and at these expos, I think we need well, to it could it could have been yeah, a so lot was, of different product. There were other yeah, products at the time. Yeah. But you go to the expos and you sell them for cash. That was a, well, so this particular contract, this, the, the actual, how this one worked is that the, the company contracted me or my, mm-hmm. my corporation 
and they pre-bought $100,000 worth of product at retail. So how I worked it out with my team was one, one wrap or one keto cash, depending on how the retail worked or whatever it was, I think it was, so one wrap equaled one share. So they had to give me one wrap and it equaled one share. Right. And so, because there was no way that my husband and I could have, so that the, that expo was in September, right? So there was a, no way that my husband and I could have, have that much product. Per, per, yeah. Could have purchased enough products. Like we, I, and it, it didn't matter. Even if we could, I was never going, everything I had worked for was leading up to getting a contract like this so that my team could benefit. Like it was never, the plan was never to do it alone. Right. And so we had finally reached it. I was so excited. I mean, people cried. I mean, this was, mm-hmm. this was money that I think the, the little mama that joined for 500 bucks, it was more money than she could wrap her mind around. Mm-hmm. And there were people that were like, I just signed up with a kit. I've got eight wraps right now. I will send them to you right now. I'm like, perfect. Well, you need to- and I'll just, I'm not, I'm not butting in, but I am butting in because that was completely legal. That is what we yes. did. We sold yes. wraps for wrap cash. Yep. We, we yep. had huge trainings mm-hmm. teaching how to make wrap cash. It's because, yes. and that's how you paid for your kit. You got your $99 kit and then you sold your wraps and you made that money back. There's nothing wrong with getting a contract to go sell your wraps. Yes. So what I had done is just, I, so basically I had contracted with this particular expo company. What they wanted is they were, they make these, these VIP, they make these grab bags, these executive grab bags, and they were putting the, um, these like product kits together. Yep. Yep. They were putting them inside the bags. And so, um, and so, yeah, so they had whatever they had, like the their media companies sponsored the bags, but the bags themselves are free because the mm-hmm. key is, and I think what compliance was trying to get me caught up in is that um, the, I don't, they were, they were trying to say that like the bags are resold. Like you can't re those people can't resell them because they're not distributors. And I was like, well, they're not reselling them. That's the thing. They're buying them. The bags are free. The people, the media companies sponsor the companies that are in the bag. Mm-hmm. that's how we got the contract. So anyways, I, um, but I wouldn't give them the media companies. I wouldn't give them the expo company. I wouldn't give them the contacts. I wasn't giving them anything. Um, mm-hmm. and so it got around compliance reached out to me and they wanted to make sure that I was in compliance. And so I, instead of giving them the contract, my husband contacted the expo company and had them write a notarized letter, basically saying that, Hey, um, no, like we are not reselling these bags. The bags are free. Um, and they didn't tell them how much the contract, cause I, I rounded the amount, the amount was more than a hundred thousand dollars, but I rounded it. Um, and I didn't tell them how long the contract was for either because I was, I was in business. Well, I'm, I'm gathering up anyways. Uh, I think it was April 17th or whenever we got paid, I think it was 12, 15, something like that. Anyways, I woke up, they locked me out of my account. So I woke up to my husband, my mom, me, we we're all locked out. Um, and first it was because the lockout was because they said that I was bonus buying or first they said it was because I was, I was incompliant because of the expo contract. They said that I was, um, they were reselling it. I was selling it to someone who was reselling it. So they wanted proof of that. Then, so then my, my husband gives them, gets the notarized letter. So then legal had no choice. Then it so was were fine. So yes. And, uh, and round they one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they went and they ahead paid, and paid you, but then they, then they, my short, my check was short, like 10 grand. So then my husband's like, mind you, I'm in Italy, literally at the Vatican praying. 
<laughs> and uh, he's dealing with this and he is not happy. Right. So he's pissed. Um, and so then they were saying, well, you made a lot of purchases at the end of the month. So you're bonus buying. And he's like, I, I literally just told you, like, you literally just got a piece of paper and they're like, well, that piece of paper doesn't prove how much you need for the, for the expo. So how do we know? And he's like, we're not even up for any bonuses. My wife doesn't qualify for any bonuses. So how could you even prove? So he went back and forth with them. So then I think eventually, um, I got home while I was at the Vatican. I literally was like, I just, I want out of just all of this mess. Like I just, this whole thing, I'm just so stressed out. I come home. We eventually, uh, they eventually let go of whatever that issue is, but it didn't matter because the toxic people that I worked with, the, the team I had signed up for, they caught it by storm. They had infected whatever brand I had. They had told everybody that I, the expo was fake and that I was scamming people. And it just, the rumor spread like wildfire. And it really just, it just got so out of control. And I think the last final thing, um, there is a clause in the contract, in the policies and procedures that you can't, people can't share credit cards. So the, the credit, there's the same credit card on me, my husband, and my mom's account. Well, me, my husband, and my mom all shared a credit card. Like we literally all had a, a credit card. And so they wouldn't budge on it. They said that it didn't matter that we all or on the account together, it didn't matter. We all cannot use the same credit card. And so they were canceling us. I got a call from a corporate officer and they were like, I think we can work something out. If you're willing to negotiate something with us, as far as the expos go, I told them to see them. Give us your expo contract and we'll give you your paycheck. Well, you can keep your account essentially. Like you can stay with us. You can stay if you give us the contract. Yeah. So here, so here's the thing. So they got you on the credit cards, although you had had that same credit card on those three accounts for years. Oh, since the dawn of time. And they even like had a, their compliance department even had to speak to my mother. Cause then at some point right. they were trying to say that like, my mom wasn't an active real distributor. So like my mom, when she spoke with them was like, well, I don't sign people up. She was told them, honestly, she was like, mm-hmm. I, I help my, my daughter pack stuff for an expo. I help her do some admin stuff. And she was like, I have never signed anybody up. She's like, I put people's names into, you know, an expo, an Excel sheet. She was like, well, as far as I know, I have, you know, Nicole has moved people to me, which that was totally legal. Exactly. It's what we did. There were no, you didn't nope. have to sign your own customers. Mm-hmm. I could build my mom and yep. my husband. And I did, that is yep. what I did, which yep. Which let me just be really clear too, and, and that's a totally another topic that we just need to make sure we write down, is that these companies allow you to mm-hmm. solely 100% build a family member or a spouse or whoever, or, or, or whoever, right? Like I had girls that never basically worked two seconds, but they got lucky on a couple of businesses underneath of them. And because I needed them, I continued to build them and I worked myself to death and never created any leadership because I was building people. But to go back to your topic, all of that was legal. So yeah, what's crazy is that I, Which I, is worry why about I think nothing came of that because uh-huh. it's not like she, like she didn't no, lie. It I was fine. Was trying to catch everybody. And I think that no, what they were no. trying to do is just kind of catch everybody in like some sort of weird lie. Well, but, I don't even think it was that. Don't you think it was just, they were just trying to CYA. We've got to get rid of this girl or really what we want is the contract. What it benefits, what benefits us is to get that contract. And so therefore we're going to do any sort of audit that we possibly can 
to get caught in a trick bag so that the loud mouthy one goes away and we get the, the wedding yeah. contract that we couldn't get. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I don't know. I, I just think, I mean, I, I think I mold over so many possibilities, but I mean, even in the conversation with that particular, like corporate exec, like corporate exec, I just asked them like, what do you think? Like, what do you think is going to come of this? Like I, after, I was like, after that's happened, like, I'm going to want to stay here. Yeah. Like, I'm like, you know, I, what am I supposed to do? You're backing me into a corner. And it's like, I, I think I even told them like, I, you have made me feel like no person is safe here. Yeah. And, and what was crazy to me is I was like, I thought of you people, like, honestly, like family, but when I think back, you've never protected me, not one single time, not a single time. I've come to you guys with so many problems. My organization has been ransacked by my upline so many times. You guys have never, ever protected me, but really like all I've ever wanted was to be a part like of this organization. Yeah. Have I asked questions that I'm sure have made your corporate staff super uncomfortable because you've had to answer questions of whatever is going on over there? Sure. But you know what? It's, it's apparent that we just cannot, we can't have this working relationship. So why, why would I, why would I do that? And I remember them specifically saying that I was never going to be able to fulfill that contract. And I said, you know what, you're probably right. I, I can't, I probably won't be able to. And so He's like, you know, what are you going to do about it? And I said, that's between me and them. I mm-hmm. said, for all you know, I might give that contract to my team. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll give it to them for free and they can have it and they can benefit from it, but you will not benefit from it. Right. In my mind, I was like over my dead body, like <laughs> over my Literally. dead rotting soul. Right. What's so, crazy it too. Happened and it didn't matter. So What's crazy too, to me is that I think you, you probably did make them feel very uncomfortable with some of the questions and some of the things that you would have called out. But what I also know about you too, is that you're extremely loyal. And I think a lot of people are, I think a lot of people, because they attract the, the people pleasers, the type A's, Mm -hmm. the ones that would go through a brick wall. If you are loyal to me, I would hide the dead body. So oh, for sure. You, and I know that about you as well. So I'm if like, you would have asked those questions, even if they yeah. were uncomfortable and they would have said, Nicole, here's what's up. Like we made this mistake or we did this. You would have kept on driving anyway. Like they didn't have to treat you like dog dirt. They could have just protected you. And frankly, I don't know. I, it, it just, it boggles my mind. And I think too, that, you know, you can, you can see, um, and, and we're going, you know, we could go to again, churches, corporate America, schools, yeah. etc. When a place is run out of ego, it always ends. It never always. ends well. Always. When you really are there to serve and when you really are creating a culture of, of what I would call abundance mentality and family and, and you're building something bigger than yourself, people stay. People leave leaders. They don't leave companies really they leave leadership they leave lack of loyalty they leave they leave feeling I left I left a company I left um when I was consulting in Alabama they loved me they actually I mean maybe they didn't maybe they would have ditched me in a hot second (laughs) but but my boss was she was kind to me and she took care of me and and I left there loving them forever The next company that I went to work for would have run me over and backed up and made sure I was dead. And I left there with my middle finger up and have continued to rant about them ever since I would have made them a ton of money. It didn't have to be perfect. 
right? Like it didn't have to be flashy and shiny and et cetera. I probably would have continued to annoy them, but they were so hateful to me that like I would maybe back back over. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. no love lost. And so it just, it, it boggles my mind when people get a really talented person and they're threatened instead of like welcoming you in because I bet you would have given them the contract. Yeah. I mean, I think that I just, it, it just blows my mind because it was like, you know, I really thought we could do some, some real good, like with the MLM industry. And I thought that like, you know, we could do the things that be, I just really thought we could be different, you know, and do the things that weren't the sleazy things that people were accusing other companies of doing. And I, I think that even leaving there, there are people that in other companies and things that I've talked to that have truly been like, Hey, you know what? Like, yeah, you might've been doing stuff. Right. But it really opened my eyes to like, again, even if you're on your own Island, like doing your best inside a framework, um, sometimes just isn't enough, you know? And then it's like, you leave there, right. You're like trying to lick your wounds. And then, um, at a very short stint at a second company, very short. And it was a binary, which was terrible. And it's like, you know, you're promised all these things, right? You're, you, they hear that. Oh, you're, you're talking about the next company. Yeah. Like this, um, I, the second, like, yeah. I mean, it was very short stint. There's not a big story here, like very small, but the person like the CBD company hears, hears that you're, that you were booted out, right? They hear this traumatic story. They know that you're in pain and they promise you, this is the thing that kills me. They promise you this like spot at the top of this, you know, brand new company, right? This groundbreaking, whatever. And, um, and then it's like, I've never been a huge fan of binaries. I just feel like it's just this constant, like having to keep the legs balanced and this is mess. And, um, honestly they paid, they, they paid paychecks on a Friday and closed their doors on a Monday. And it's like this devastating experience that I think people, it's like, they have this hole they never really recover from. And it's like that happens frequently. It's like there are more startup MLMs with these groundbreaking opportunities, right? So it's you not- left. So you left the first company, got recruited basically. And again, I'll just point out the obvious that it's another person that got you in a vulnerable moment, ring a yeah. thing, and yeah. got you into something. And I will tell you the same thing happened to me. It wasn't a startup, but I went from one to another thought it was going to be amazing. And it was even worse. And then went to another and it was even worse. And I truly like, I'm so grateful for those little hoppy moments because I learned, I mean, I saw all the good, the bad, and the ugly, and there's probably 50,000. I mean, we're going to hear stories that that expose even more. Mm -hmm. Um, but if I would have only participated in the one, I would have had this little tiny bubble, but I, but I got three and they were totally wildly different. So, um, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think that I, I, I felt like I had an obligation, right. To the people. So, so when that whole thing happened, um, I, like I said, I I didn't really have the same experiences as the people that had the choice to leave the, you know, they, I think a lot of them had experienced a lot of hate. Right. And they, so they had this very, like they were shunned out and they, they kind of left with like their claws out. I left like licking my wounds of sadness. Right. I felt very depressed and like, um, honestly, a similar experience as being booted out of the casino industry. And I just felt like, oh my gosh, I'm like this shame. Um, and my team 
I think was very torn because I feel like what I spoke to every single one of them and I told them like, listen, for one, I was afraid to get sued. So I couldn't really say too much, but I just told them, listen, I will never ask any of you. Like they have families and, and you know, like they have families, they have to pay their bills. And so I just told them, I, you know, you have to do what's best for your family and I love you. And I'm not going to ask you to do, I, I don't want you to make a decision because of me. Well, half of them were like, no, something's not right here. And so I felt like I had this obligation to find, like to figure something out for them. And so I, um, so obviously I, I became a customer doing some, doing a referral. Well, became a customer doing some sort of referral thing. And then I, and then I got a call from this Brown startup company. And they promised me this spot, the CBD company. And mm -hmm. I trusted that person because that person I knew at the first company and they were mm -hmm. starting this company and they were like, they told me things that were going on in the first company to make me feel like it was worse than even I imagined. And that mm -hmm. all the, the things that I thought were going on were even worse. And it's like, you know, I don't have bad blood with that person. I don't, but I just feel like they just, I don't know. I just think that they got sucked in. Like they had business partners that I think were like, I just had a bad feeling from the get-go and I really should have just trusted my instincts. Mm -hmm. And, um, I didn't because I just felt like, I just felt the pressure of like, oh my gosh, I have people and I feel like I have to protect them. And it, it was just, it was short-lived. It was real short-lived. It was, like I said, it was this binary. It just did not last it did not last long and yeah. paid, they just paid paychecks on a Friday and closed down on a Monday. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to go through a separate conversation of maybe that kind of concept of the, of the brand new, of what happens, of how those companies start, what the goal of those companies are. I've got a ton of opinions on that. Um, yeah. Before we end this, what would be your MLM PTSD? Like if you were, if you were yeah. sitting with a doctor and there was a chart and it said MLM PTSD, what are, what are the symptoms that come out of you? Um, what are the scars from that period of time in your life? How does that show up in your life today? Um, that's such a good question. I think it's, I honestly think it's made it really, it's made it difficult for me to show up for people. Like, I feel like I've chosen businesses that allowed me to be a little bit more hidden just because I have this, it's just taken me a while, right. To sort of work through this, um, that sort of like team kind of fear. Like, I feel like I let them down, you know, um, even though I didn't, even though like I didn't do anything, but I just feel like, you know, I think, especially with that, the last expo contract, like, I think I really, like, I, I felt like I, the last thing that that team heard from me was that we were going to change their life and it was going to be the most like I mean yeah actually the most life-changing like experience and I mean so I think that that really did a number on me because I just felt like I let them down and it's like the dream didn't just get ripped out from under me but it got ripped out from all of those people that trusted me and that were along for that ride and um so it, it took me, it's taken me a really long time to be able to kind of like trust myself with other people right. um, and to allow myself to 
kind of be in situations where people can trust me. I mean, so I think that definitely for sure. Um, it's also take, it also took me a while, um, to be super comfortable, like to be, to find a cold voice again. Like, I think I have spurts of it where I'm like that rural, like just give no craps kind of attitude. Yeah. But I think that like, it's just been a, it's been a little while. I, I really think the company did a number on like myself, just my self-confidence and like my voice. Um, because I just, I don't know. I just yeah. do. I just, there's some weird, there was a weird thing in the back of my mind, constantly wondering, um, you know, if, if maybe this happened to me because I'm so outspoken or this happened to me because I'm this and this. And I, so I think I got kind of, you know, sort of reconditioned into thinking that maybe if I just fit in the box better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it took a lot of healing to be able to be comfortable in my skin. Um, again, just being okay. Being weird again, right. so. <laughs> being weird. Yeah. Well, um, I, maybe this, maybe this series will heal you in ways that, um, that really nothing else can except talking through it and sharing your journey and getting back to serving an audience that you always cared for. Right. Um, maybe hearing other stories and comebacks and tribulations and all the things will be healing, not only for you and me and Jen and et cetera, but a lot of people that have taken themselves out of the team and, to, and put themselves on the bench because they think the problem is them. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe some people that are acting skeezy and misbehaving, but who are really good people to the core, um, maybe it will, it'll ruffle some feathers and cause some people to think, um, you know, again, I, I watched before these last few weeks I've been watching like anti MLM channels. And the last thing I want to do is like sit around and like screenshot these poor mamas. Most of them listen, to, listen, you little anti MLM honeys is that most of what you do, you don't even pick on the big dogs. You're picking on the yeah, little dogs. All these channels pick on these little mamas that are, they're saying dumb crap. They're doing dumb stuff, but like go after the big fish. Um, because the, it's not fair to tackle yeah. the little people. So I'm hoping that, um, we can, we can do that in a different way. Right. And really share things that might actually provide some value and not just juice, but you had a lot of juice and tea and I appreciate you sharing. And, um, it's funny because I've heard your story in chunks over the past four years. Like I've heard it in little chunks, like when you were like melting or when you were upset or when you were just jaunting about a story, but I've never heard it from top to bottom. And it's wild to me. Um, and I feel like, you know, karma is a real bee. So I um, think honestly, what I'm hoping people get out of this podcast is what I got out of MLM exposed when you guys first did it in 2017. Like, I think that when I was at the height of my career and I was questioning whether or not I had the strength to write, to get off my own Island and to do things a different way, I had that strength. Like MLM exposed never made me question the industry, right? It made me question what I was doing in the industry, right? It made me question like how I was showing up as leader. It made me question how I was showing up in my own, you know, business and how I was doing things. And so what I hope people get out of this is the strength to do things differently, right? It's the strength mm -hmm. to do things more ethically. It's the, it's the strength to, to honestly be okay with going against the grain, even if everybody else is right. being crappy. And so I think that like, I would hear, 
um, you know, when, when I, when they gave me that like executive or whatever of the year, you know, Madra messaged me and she forewarned me, these, you know, these people are not what they seem. And she kind of made me like, it's like, I had this comforting feeling, right. Of being like, you know what, my instincts are not astray. And so watching you guys be comfortable in your skin and being like, Hey, this is what's going on. And this stuff's not okay. Made me like, I was not afraid. I didn't have to go incognito, right. To watch you guys. Although every now and then I would be like, okay, I'm not going to watch it live. Maybe I'll watch the replay. I'm not going to comment. We had a lot of people. I will watch it. Um, <laughs> and you know what? that's okay too. Like y'all can watch it. Y'all don't have to comment. Y'all can watch it. The replay. You don't have to tell us you're here. If you are like, you know, some big dog in some place, but what I hope you get out of it is what, what I got out of it when it first started, it gave me this, it honestly really did give me the confidence to keep going and be the person I needed to be so that I could get on my, honestly, get away from them and get on my own Island and create the culture I needed to create so that I could be that person that I needed to be. And so that's what I hope we can give back to other people. And then the people that are coming into the industry, I hope that you are able to get the support you need so you don't have to make the mistakes that, you know, some of these people have made. And so kind of just that, that good full circle kind of feel. I love it. Yeah. I love it friend. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm very excited. Um, until next time, next time. Bye.